0: In shadows cast on hearts so meek, the souls that yearn, the spirits seek. Blessed are they, the humble souls, whose world is veiled by sorrow's tolls. Amidst the trials that life bestows, in depths of want and silent throes, they find their strength in poverty, and in their spirits they are free. In solitude their hearts abide, a sanctuary where dreams reside, where tears become a cleansing rain to wash away each whispered pain. When clouds obscure, the sun's embrace. In gloomy hours, they find God's grace. With faces turned to heaven's glow, in poverty of spirit, they grow. Blessed are they whose hearts are pure. In brokenness, they find the cure. For in their weakness, strength is found, a paradox on sacred ground. With gentle hearts and eyes that see the brokenness in you and me, they hold compassion's tender art, a balm for wounds that tear apart. Blessed are they in spirit poor, who walk this earth with hearts so sure, for in their meekness love ignites, a flame that burns through darkest nights. So let us learn from those who weep, whose spirits soar while earthbound deep, for in their blessed poverty lies wisdom's greatest mystery.
1: Special thanks to Bell Rivera, who's the director of our E3 Kids, for writing that and also performing. For Pastor Mike for the initial idea and for Jason spending way lots of hours wherever he went, uh, who is a worship leader up here. It's this awesome collaboration on our staff side and excited that this will be a normal through this series called Beatitudes of hearing uh, some poetry read by many different people sitting here in this room and, and at home online. So, welcome to E3. We're in the Beatitudes and excited to jump into the first week of the Beatitudes. Uh, last week we talked about what a blessing is and a blessing we decided was just being in proximity to God, being in proximity to God. That's the the main point is that God brings the blessing and Jesus here very definitively through Matthew account says what this actually is. Now, what a blessing actually is. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit as we'll get into today. If you're online, you're gonna be engaging with us in a moment, we would love for you to play along because friends, you know when I wear this... It can only mean one thing. Now, I will say I am kind of disappointed because this used to button, and it no longer buttons. So something has changed over the last couple of years. I, I don't, I'm, it shrunk? Yes, it shrunk. That's what's changed. It's not that I have Gain Street almost every day. That's good stuff. Um, what, what, I, what I will say is we have a lot of fun here at E3, and part of that fun is playing our friends Bible Jeopardy. categories this morning are Matthew, (laughs) Money Matters, and Potpourri, which is a bunch of random stuff that we like to flow in there. Of course, Bible Jeopardy is fun, and we uh, take it very seriously here, though, as well. I'm in game show mode. We have two teams. We have on this side, the north side, okay? You're the north side. On this side, you are south side. South side's more excited, okay? That's all right. And then we also, I want us to say if you're online, your questions, your answers will be delayed quite a bit. But I'll be watching through this wonderful app and seeing if anybody actually plays and and gets the answers right on this. Uh, So definitely chime in and and we will give you bonus points. And then, really, our tech team who already knows all of the questions that are going to be said because we ran through it, uh, we want to say thank you to them for all the work that they do on Sunday mornings. And here's a shameless plug. Before we first start our game, this is our commercial. If you'd like to press buttons while Pastor Scott preaches or change the lights or adjust the sound, we always need new volunteers in our tech team. So please reach out to any one of our staff if you're interested. With that in mind, let's begin. We did a coin flip at the start, and Southside, you did win. So select the category, please, and we go 100, 200, 300. You don't get to select the money amount. Just select the category, Southside. Money Matters for 100. The right way to put Jeopardy is 100. Okay, money matters. And remember, answer in the form of A. Here we go. Interest earned on top of interest already earned is called this. Right there, right there. What is compounding for 100? Well done, South Side. 200. This group is a large gathering of foreign countries trying to undermine the strength of the U.S. dollar. Well done what is bricks was the answer for 200 south side which south side this brings us to our daily double i'm probably going to have to pay jeopardy some royalties for using their their songs we're just going to keep going north side just take it easy dream about what, answering a question maybe south side how much would you like to wager it's a true daily double are you ready to pay one of many taxes, Jesus tells this disciple to take a coin out of a fish that he had caught. Final answer. I'm switching games now. Final answer. Who is Peter? Is correct. Well done, <laughs> South Side. North Side. I'll let you pick a category. How about that? Potpourri. Potpourri. Here we go. Potpourri for 100. While there are many versions from iced to Earl Grey, this country is who invented tea. Whose is China is correct. Yay. The youth are getting anxious over there. <laughs> South side. Good job. Here we go. 200. A cooler month. This is the month Julius Caesar was stabbed in. What is March? Well done, Lindsay oh. Durnberger. <laughs> With enthusiasm. And the youth are now behind Lindsay. Okay. For 300, not the long intestine. This is your body's largest organ. What is it? it was ever so slightly. I heard it back in here over there. What is your skin is correct. I'm helping them out. You're ahead by a lot. And of course, as we always do at E3, we save the Bible category for last. for 100 as a preacher said last week Matthew is written in this many sections paralleling the Pentateuch well done authoritative 200 going against tradition and culture Matthew mentions 5 of these in Jesus' genealogy who said prostitutes what kind of church is this The correct answer is, what is women? What is women? <laughs> we have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the wife of Uriah, Mary. Now, many of them were prostitutes, and we'll get to that in a moment. But well done, well done, well done. I'm going to give you some of the points, okay? Just, there's this flowing out for that answer. Because you got the pastor to say prostitute during a message, okay? Here we go. Three hundred the number of woes that Matthew's gospel has much more than any other. What is, seven? No. What is, ten? What is eight? eight? What is eight? Just start saying random numbers. Just start saying random numbers. Round of applause for both teams, for both teams. And I'm gonna check in real quick with our online folks. It looks like they have not got any in yet. Have they got, oh, we have, um, Mary Coffey wrote in, what is compound interest? So round of applause for Mary Coffey on the, on the online. That's about how far beyond they are. Now, what if I would say, just for fun, just for fun, that neither of you got any sort of pit points or victory, or that I won't even tell you who the victory, Victor Actual was. How, how would that make you feel? Weird, Weird enough. Yeah. <laughs> what I'd like to do is through online Jeopardy, <coughs> whoop, whoop, whoop. that's my fault. Better? Yeah. Good. Okay. Great. What, what we have going on here is that in our culture, we need to deculturize ourselves in understanding that this idea of winning and losing and having some sort of victory is really, has to be divorced from our minds. We have to come out from Bible Jeopardy world, even though it's fun, and understand that in the Beatitudes and understanding blessing, it's not about something I get from right now. It's about something that God tells me I am. He confers it upon me. And so blessed are the poor in spirit is going to have to be a total shock to our brains. A total reorientation that it's not about getting stuff. It's not about stuff at all. It's about understanding that we are called blessed because Christ calls us that. Now, as we understood from last week, being blessed means you're coming from, I'm gonna put the t-shirt on, okay? Because this is this is ridiculous. (laughs) Somebody, somebody's like, what, what's going on with this? See, I, this is all because, this is all because Pastor Scott, Pastor Scott said, or sorry, Pastor Mike said he doesn't like uniforms. This is why we're all doing this. It's all his fault. As we understand this idea of being blessed and being poor in spirit, we have to understand that this isn't about only finances. We're gonna get into that here today. Now, as we understand with the verb first. We're going to diagram the sentence a little bit, kind of old school, seventh grade English class, okay? The verb are is not a great translation because being blessed is not a future thing that happens somewhere down the road where I get to this place called heaven and everything's perfect. Being blessed, I'm not doing anything to it. There we go. Being blessed is something that happens right here, right now. That the blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a present tense and also a future tense that we don't really understand in our language. It's better in Greek. Now let's go to the second half of the phrase on our screens right now. The kingdom of God. And I've been in awe. I've listened to several sermons in the past from E3 that E3 has gotten this term right over and over and over for many, many years of great preaching. The kingdom is not now, but it is. And the kingdom isn't future, but it also is. The kingdom isn't about earthly power. It's about heavenly obedience. We understand that in heaven, there's going to be this eternal God who is our king. And that's a hard concept for us who are used to having rulers every four or eight years come and cycle through. And it's not saying anything about our system of government. It's just a reorientation that I'm meant for a kingdom where God, God's self, will be king of all things. Doesn't sound nice. The kingdom isn't about power at all, friends. It's about reliance upon this heavenly king, upon God. And this is hard in our political spheres on both parties because they're pointing at us saying, think about right now, think about the next four years, think about the next eight years, think about the next four minutes versus our mentality has to be thinking about eternity and building an eternity in this very moment. See, friends, the kingdom isn't about an earthly ruler. It's about Jesus himself ruling and being our great God. The kingdom isn't even a territory or a mansion or a physicality. It's also not a non-physical state. It is everything, all creation will be restored and reconfigured. Restored and reconfigured. It's not that God's going to throw all of us away and this entire planet away, like some sort of failed science project. It's that God will take everything and everyone in this room and remake us. Doesn't sound nice? The kingdom of God is where God is king, friends. And just as my identity as American doesn't stop while entering another nation, so God's kingdom is being built wherever the citizens of the heavenly kingdom are at work. So now that we understand what the object of this blessing is, we have to understand that it has nothing to do about the creed, upon my background, upon my knowledge, any sort of ability or genealogy. God's kingdom transcends all of that. Moreover, the kingdom over and over is shown to be the least of the unsuspecting. Think about the parable of the sheep versus the goats. Both the sheep and the goats at the very end are both surprised. Which should make me both dread judgment that even as pastor of a church who plays Bible Jeopardy, that I might be at the very end of things called a goat. And not the goat like greatest of all time, a goat where I don't get to be in that kingdom. at the same time, those who are sheep are called into this heavenly kingdom and they're also shocked asking, when do we do these things that cause us to have sort of judgment? Over and over and over throughout all of scripture, the kingdom is being built in unsuspecting in low places. And I love that God does that. So you don't have to pledge your allegiance, have some sort of membership card or have any sort of sway in contemporary culture. It appeals to the powerless and the cultural rejects. I remember as a youth pastor in my very first church, I was a budding age of 24 and I knew nothing. And yet I thought I knew everything. And as a 24 year old, I did this great message I thought, and I got done and we said amen and all the kids scattered to go play sardines because that's what you do when you're a youth pastor. Sardines is reverse hide and seek. One person hides, everyone hides with that person. The last one to find him gets laughed at, okay? So the idea of this whole, I, uh, my whole concept was trying to preach this to these kids. And I remember so clearly thinking, like, I just did a great thing, and all of a sudden, sardines, and no one could care. I said, oh, that wasn't very fun. No one listens to me, and not much has changed. <laughs> oh, just kidding, just kidding. The idea of this, though, I was surprised because as we were playing sardines, I walked up into the sanctuary, and I found this one lowly sixth grader in the back just weeping his eyes out to find out that he had been bullied over and over and over in his classes. And he felt like a no one. He felt like a useless reject of a person. And I don't even know where his thoughts were heading, but he just had heard hope from the message of the Bible. Friends, many of us in here need to understand that the kingdom is happening not only in the future. Friends, the kingdom is for us right now and citizenship is available. The QR code on the screen gets you to Padlet, and I just love sharing these types of stories of moments of these, these intimate moments with God where you feel blessed or you see someone else blessing another person or you see E3's values being shared in a variety of different ways. And so I'll give you just a couple of seconds to get your camera pointed. It's also on the back of the chairs. It's in our lobby. We want to be a church that shares where these moments of blessings are happening and be aware and cognizant of them. Because oftentimes we're so hurried in our life, we never stop to think about where is God moving right here, right now? Got it? Good. See, the kingdom is a key feature in Matthew's gospel and in all the Bible. It's the underlying theme of the kingdom of heaven throughout Matthew, and especially on the Sermon on the Mount where we see these beatitudes. In verse in chapter five, verse three, where we're studying today, all the way to the very end of the sermon, 7 to 12, we see that Matthew's idea of the kingdom is what goes and unifies the entire message of the Sermon on the Mount. And in many ways, underlines and ties through the idea of being a blessing and being blessed. So with that in mind, let's now deal with the key term, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are the ones who are blessed. The Greek word for poor, chochos, has a different force here in the Septuagint and in the New Testament. See, it translates this idea of poor, several Hebrew words. Most importantly, poor in economic terms, but also poor who don't have any confidence in God. Kind of like a wimp feeling or a very despondent attitude. Yet through poverty is neither a blessing nor a guarantee of spiritual rewards. It can be turned to an advantage if it fosters humility before God. Contrast this to present day. How many of you want to be poor? Now, yeah. our culture, in, in fact, let's just be honest, every culture on this world don't promote poorness as something that somebody aspires to be. Now, how many of you want to be rich economically? Yeah, but does rich actually equal entrance in to the kingdom of God? No, we know this. This is, this is somewhat simple, theological terms, but how many of us actually live our lives that way? How many are ever asked to be poor In really anything. That a disciple of Jesus truly comes in bankrupt into the relationship with Jesus is what we're talking about. It's not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. It's what Charles Spurgeon, a famous theologian, wrote. Therefore, heaven can never be earned. I can't buy my way into heaven, but our life is a response to that citizenship in heaven. And I'm not talking about a more reformed theology as it kind of maybe sounds but is a recalibration of my contemporary logic of wealth, prestige, and status. What is fascinating is that in the various forbidden circles, poverty of spirit was something lifted up. So this first line of the Beatitudes may not be controversial to the first hearers of blessed are the poor in spirit, but the effect of the Beatitude is Jesus' kingdom is not based on merit, confidence, status, or prestige. We see this even in our Bible Jeopardy, that we're trying to win, For nothing, you're not even going to get a free T-shirt from winning Bible Jeopardy. Sorry. Wait, you guys won. Sorry. But it's not the fact that you win or lose at all. It's the attitude of not having an overinflated ego or an overinflated confidence that somehow I can get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're born from 1980 to 2001, here's a little parenthetical word for you. Confidence and self-sufficiency were things that we were told as a child growing up, and that's not a bad thing. I was told that I could become the president of the United States. And most of those kids from 1980 to 2001, guess what? You also can be the what? But how many presidents of the United States are we going to have, okay? Because not everybody can be that. I was told I could be a famous baseball player. No. 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 I was told I could be anything I want to be. And while that may be true, but this false sense of confidence and self-sufficiency really hampers the growth of an individual when we also need to preach reliance and the fact that we will be judged on what we are and who we are and how we live our lives. Pre-1980, another generation, we were told that stubbornness and hard work got you your goal, amen? And you're not gonna listen to anything else I say because you're too stubborn to hear it. In all seriousness, this idea of working towards a goal in this generation that you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to do hard work. And those dang kids from the 1980s, they don't know nothing about hard work, right? They never had to dig a, a hole with a shovel that only had half a blade, right? And they only walked up to school boat in one way, not both ways, up, the, up and down the school, back and both the back. This, this idea of my own power, my own stubbornness can somehow earn my way works really well in our contemporary culture doesn't work well when you come into a relationship with jesus he says i've done all the work i've 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 done everything you need to do you bring nothing to this that i need but i still just want you how's that make you feel what about our friends who are born after 2001 they can ask chat GTP, right that technology in all seriousness has somehow bolstered their abilities to do things far more advanced and far more greater than we'll ever truly understand in comparison from 2023 to 1923. And yet technology also is a false crutch. Then when it comes to the relationship with Christ, he doesn't care how much you know, how fast you can type or the abilities you can do to manipulate data and so much data that we are smarter than we've ever been as humans. Stubbornness, self-confidence, and tech will not show a poor spirit. But for a moment, consider the counterculture logic of both Jesus' day and ours to the gospel of Matthew. Over and over and over, in the gospel, Jesus uses these words, you have heard it said, you have heard it said, you have heard it said. And over and over and over and over, he flips the contemporary culture on his head. He's talking about foreign women. Even the prostitutes in his genealogy, which is right on. He talks to the poor, the sick, the outcasts, the beggars, the widows, and the children over and over and over. They're the ones he targets. He targets the illiterate, the uneducated, the people calling for mercy who go against cultural norms and jump into a fancy meal, who pour perfume on him, who push through a crowd of halfway followers just to touch his cloak, believing that it could heal centurions who have faith, who defy generations of religion of being brought up believing one thing and all of a sudden they come to him saying, I don't know what God is, but I know you can do something for me. See, he says to the men on opposite ends of the political spectrum, come to me. I don't care if you're red or blue. I don't care if you think it's about Herod or about Caesar or about rising up. Jesus eats with Zacchaeus over all the others in that crowd and he eats with those who sinned over and over again. Jesus chooses the demon-possessed over the right-minded. He goes through the wrong territories to talk to a Samaritan woman by a well who slept around and constantly moves where he shouldn't. He goes against what everyone thinks he should do, and he reminds over and over that all our lost sheep, even while we as sheep and goats, must be reoriented in our own surprise, Based on his pure judgment. Friends, this is poverty. Poverty of spirit. Saying it's the one who chooses the ones who should be chosen. And that, oh my, I might be one of those two. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. To be poor in spirit is not to lack courage, but to acknowledge a spiritual bankruptcy. It confesses one's unworthiness before God and utter dependence upon him. All of these examples must acknowledge the least of all of humanity and commands all of us to preach hope to those who are not hope-filled. If we are poor in spirit, and ours truly is the kingdom of heaven, friends, we should go preach the kingdom of heaven to every single soul, amen? We should celebrate those and should celebrate our impoverished state. To illustrate this more fully, I wanna bring up two different parables. The first is a parable of a treasure in a field. I'm gonna really quickly synopsis. this on the screen if you wanna read it. This idea that this person finds this treasure and they go and they sell everything they have to buy the field where the treasure is. And you read that over and over and you're like, well, I'm just, just pick up the treasure, dude. Don't go buy the field. Just, if you found the treasure, just pick it up and leave, right? And there's some old contemporary idea that if you can't take something out of a field, you don't own. And there's, there's credence to that. But it's a fact that this person's willing to sell everything they have. Consider that for a moment what would you be willing to give everything you have in your contemporary life to? Secondly, Jesus preaches about this pearl of great price. And it's even shorter. This idea that this person, this merchant finds this pearl and he goes and gives everything he has to have it. That is poverty of spirit. And in our contemporary minds, we're saying, I would never give up everything I have for one thing. Some of you have. Some of you are willing to go that deep in But the only investment you're willing to go all in on that has a sort of reward, friends, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that treasure in the field. And Jesus Christ is that pearl. And when we can reorient our contemporary minds to think through that, suddenly all the great things about Scott Martin are put in second place. All the accolades, all the things I've earned, all my titles and Even concepts of who I am, the money that I've earned, the possessions that I have, the skills, the abilities, all become secondary to a life with Christ. Because when you have that life with Christ, that is the kingdom of heaven. Which means that all of us have to stumble at this first beatitude. We have to trip over even these very words. As the worship team comes out to get ready for this last song called The Kingdom of Yours, it's just fantastic, the lyrics in a moment. And I'll invite you to worship in a moment. But remember that the kingdom is not based upon race, merits, zeal, or wealth. It's given to the poor, the despised, and even the prostitutes. that are so poor, they know they can offer nothing and they do not try. They cry for mercy and they alone are heard. And these themes recur repeatedly in Matthew and even in the sermon's present day to ethical demands in a setting that does not treat the resulting conduct as conditions for the entrance to the kingdom. See, all must become blessed by releasing everything that they are to become nothing in comparison to Christ. In becoming nothing, we gain everything. This is not to ask to be a wimp or not to have some sort of courage. Indeed, accepting the poverty of spirit is one of the hardest things anyone can do. And it is a contextual position of one's heart, of one's posture, to achieve through this sort of poverty. And I love in this next song, it's gonna be a great response to this ask, that friends, Jesus wants you to receive and to be a part of this kingdom, this beautiful savior, who orients blessing, does not consider this some sort of game. But the kingdom is offered to all who are willing to embrace Jesus Christ. Let's stand and worship.